The first reading comes from the revelation to the apostle, saint, theologian, John, an elder. Chapter 7. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the revelation to St. John. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Today, I'm going to preach from the book of Revelation. Very pumped. It's one of my favorite classes at the seminary. Um, My favorite saint, saint of old, is uh, the Apostle John. And I think he's a very interesting dude. And his revelation is very unique in the scriptures. 
paralleled only by the book of Daniel and the kind of wacky stuff that we get to see uh, that also gives us great gospel joy. So uh, let's go. Let's do it. Um, If anyone remembers, the uh, revelation given to John happened on the island of Patmos. It's this small island. I see uh, Jerry shaking his head, Irving like nodding. He's probably been there. Yeah. Yeah, he's nodding. He's been there, guys. Patmos was a small island where you'd get exiled if you were causing trouble. So like back in the day, like even up to Napoleon time, they would exile you if you were causing trouble like politically or what have you. And so anyways... John wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. The Roman emperor did not like that, and so they put him on this little island. And while he was there, Jesus didn't want him to be wasting his time, so he gave him a uh, revelation of what would happen. What does it say in the King James? In these latter days? Where's D? King James. All right. Um, Anyways, it's my favorite book of the Bible. Why? Because it's so Christocentric. Everything's about Jesus. Christ, Christ, Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We get Jesus as the Son of Man. We get Jesus as the Lamb. It's incredible. It's just Jesus everywhere. He's, so Jesus as the Son of Man is this powerful, scary, you know, warrior guy. He's wearing this sash. He's got, uh, like, uh, what does it say? His bronze feet and like his scary copper skin is like shining in your face and that kind of thing. And he's that's the image of Jesus for those who don't believe, who are stuck in their sin. Uh, the Jesus that will come and uh, deliver a final judgment for all those who don't believe. But we also see Jesus as the crucified, the sacrificed lamb, the lamb who was slain as we sing In Divine Service 1, the lamb who was slain, but now stands, or that has risen, that now stands. And this is the image of Jesus that we get, us who have eyes to see and ears to hear. The Jesus that is tender, loving, caring, dies for us, is a sacrificial lamb for us, even though he's the son of God. The message of Revelation, very simple. Even through the intense suffering here on earth that we all go through as Christians, we are to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus, that being eternal life and the resurrection. Because of the hope that was given us, the faith in the resurrected Jesus, who will come again to judge unbelievers and comfort those who have faithfully Endured. Jesus is very simple in Revelation 2. He says, he has very simple instructions. He says, be faithful. Be faithful, even unto the end. And so to recap where we are here today, Revelation 7, um, we have this image of Jesus ascending into heaven from heaven's view. If you can remember when Jesus ascends into heaven. The end of uh, beginning of Acts or uh, the end of a few Gospels. And then we have three different visions or what I like to call camera angles. Three different visions of the same seven events or seals 
which are happening in space and time. Now, this is probably freaking you out. Got to hear it from somebody. Anyways, Revelation ends with the marriage feast of the Lamb, or the giant wedding reception in heaven that was promised in Isaiah, uh, and then lived out in Exodus, and then finally uh, taking place after Jesus ascends into heaven. He creates the new heavens and the earth, new earth, and uh, that divine marriage service between the Lamb, Jesus, and the church, us. And so this reading, Revelation 7, it's what's called a breather. It's like getting an extra hour of sleep on uh, All Saints Day, you know? It's a breather, this chapter, between the horrendous sixth and seventh seals that which came before in the first vision of Revelation. And what it's meant to do, this chapter is give you a brief vision of the ultimate victory that we have in Jesus Christ as members of the church, and the church being the church past, the church present, and the church future, showing that Jesus has won. Jesus has uh, proclaimed victory over sin, death, and the devil, and we're a part of it. It begins by showing the church as a numbered military band, the 144,000, which is seeking and saving the lost here in this world, fighting against the world. And then the church triumphant, worshiping Jesus, the lamb, because he delivered us out of the great tribulation. You know, the temptations we face from the devil, persecution, the day-to-day of having to live in the world. And I like to read this chapter as kind of like you're zooming in with your, like everyone here is like taking video with their iPhone, right? Or sorry, not everyone has an iPhone, like a, their cell phone. You zoom in by like pinching with your fingers, right? Everyone's familiar? Or maybe, I don't know, the last time you used a video camera, there was like a, or where's Ken? What do you do with a regular camera? <laughs> uh, anyways, um, it's this zooming in. First, it's this faceless 144,000, and then Jesus zooms in a little bit, and you see that there's all different tribes and nations and all different languages being spoken, and then he zooms in even more and sees what they're doing. They're worshiping Jesus, and then he zooms in even more, and each individual is worshiping God, being fed, being given water, being sheltered, being, having their tears wiped away. As they mourn, the ultimate fulfillment of, of Jesus's beatitudes. Blessed are the, uh, the, those who mourn. Um, and so, but it begins with weird stuff. The, the classic stuff that people get afraid of in Revelation. Angels flying around doing stuff and saying weird things about trees. Right? That's how Revelation begins, right? Or in this, this reading. Well, let me make it easy for you. The angel is withholding judgment, Jesus' final judgment. He is withholding it from the earth until every possible Christian can be saved. Or as he says, it's sealed. And so think of it like this. You know, oh, why doesn't Jesus just come back? 
Why doesn't he just come back? Why is he torturing us by making us continue to live in this difficult world? Why won't he just come back for that, that, you know, that the Maranatha, the come Lord Jesus? Why won't he just come back? Well, he wants your friend at work to come to know Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to wait for your grandson, your granddaughter, to get baptized. Jesus wants to wait for you to finally have that conversation so that uh, your friend, your close family member, finally can hear about and know Jesus. And they are waiting until they have sealed them on their foreheads. I don't know if anyone has seen my recent Facebook post uh, specifically for uh, this kind of thing, but uh, the Roman military, they used to tattoo their soldiers um, to say that they were property of the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor. Uh, they would put SPQR, uh, which uh, any history buff would be able to tell you what that is, but it's not important. Um, and basically, that was called a sacramentum, tattooing someone to show that they are yours. Well, this is what Jesus does to us when we are baptized. When we have faith, he tattoos us on our foreheads that we are his property or we are his. We are his soldiers. And that's uh, pretty excellent when we are thinking about this first image of the church as a fighting band of 144,000, the church militant. I don't think we're singing Onward Christian Soldiers today, right, Kathleen? No? No? Okay. Anyways, if we were singing Onward Christian Soldiers, you'd be like, oh, 144,000, they're a fighting band. Anyways, 144,000. Once again, this is a freaky, weird revelation thing that freaks you out. Maybe. Well, it's easy. You see, the Apostle John, you know, he was a good Hebrew and, uh, you know, he's rapidly writing this down. He's thinking in Hebrew, writing in Greek. It's crazy. Well, this takes the form of an Old Testament uh, text where we got the 12 tribes of Israel times the 12 apostles times 1,000. Or as I like to say, all of them. So all of the Old Testament believers, all of the New Testament believers, and then 1,000 or Old Testament language for all of them. Has anyone here heard the psalm where it says, God owns the cows on a thousand hills? Is anyone familiar with that psalm? Well, this is an example of, well, does God only own the cows on the first thousand hills? Then the the thousand and one hill, those are Jim's cows, they're not God's cows? No, God owns all the cows on all the hills. And so... When we say the 144,000, it's all of them, all Christians, all Christians past, present, and future, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 30 seconds. And that's what's spooky. We don't know when. And so repent and believe in him. But yes, from all of the different tribes of Israel. Now, I was itching to see what you guys would uh, do when I was reading this list of 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, it's crazy. But if you can actually pull that out, uh, the, the uh, Revelation reading, I want you to notice something about the list. Now, 
It's kind of like a Bible quiz, but is this the 12 tribes of Israel, this list here? Is it? Maybe? I don't know. There's something crazy. Where's Dan? Where's Dan on that list? It's not there. Dan is not there. Ephraim is not there. Spooky. Why aren't they there? It's because sometime in the Old Testament, Dan and then Ephraim following them, they were lost to idolatry. And so, if you can remember, um, Jacob blesses or adopts Joseph's two sons. One of them being Manasseh. So he, he makes the list here. And then Joseph is on there. And so what we get is this perfect image of a Christian church cleansed of idol worship, sin, that kind of thing. It's perfect. Jesus has made it. And what's weird is it's not birth order, this list. Who's first? It says 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. Why is Judah first? Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah. So he is leading the march to heaven. Excellent. The 144,000 is us, the church, everybody. You know, as they used to say about the Catholic Church, here comes everybody, right? In uh, James Joyce's writings. But anyways, um, we're all here. We're trapped in this space-time. We're in the globe's history, and we're fighting the good fight against the evils of this world while remaining faithful, even despite really tough times. And so then we, we switch over to the church triumphant. And this is the one that people like to fixate on or they like. It's our front cover. Um, it's a woodcut, as we all like. And uh, here we got the, the uh, church triumphant standing with their palm branches on the front cover. They're worshiping Jesus, who is the lamb here. He's got seven horns, meaning he has perfect power on earth. And seven eyes, meaning he sees all things. He's omniscient. He's got the blood coming out of his side, which he won us over for. He's holding the flag of the church militant. And we got all the company of heaven all around, all worshiping the Lord. Now, what's interesting about the church triumphant, what are they, who are they? All tribes, all peoples, all languages. And John can see them distinctly. What does that mean? They're not all the same color. They're not all one country. They're not all one ethnicity. And they're not all speaking like Esperanto or something. Or like Enochian. Or some like made up language like Enochian. No. They're all speaking their respective languages. Because it's beautiful. And they're all different. They're wearing different kinds of clothes and da 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 with their white robes over them, of course. The, this is Pentecost forever, right? This is the curse of the Tower of Babel with the curse removed. Everyone speaks a different language, but instead of it being confusing, 
It's beautiful. And they all use those languages to worship God, plain and simple. And then we move on to one of the elders addressing John. Now, this is where you get to have fun as a Christian when you read the Bible. You get to decide in your head as you read the Bible which elder is talking to John. Is it one of the, uh, the, 12, the 12 of the tribes of Israel? Is it like Abraham or something? Is it Moses? Or is it one of the apostles? Is it Paul, because Paul's your favorite? Is it Peter, because Peter's your favorite? Or is it James, because it's John's older brother, the guy who is experiencing this vision, and John, in exile, needed to have his older brother who was beheaded for the faith touch him on the shoulder and say, don't give up, little brother. Even though I was killed for this faith, you can hold on and you can keep doing it. The church is triumphant and the church is militant. Don't give up. Jesus wins. Or, if you're really artistic, is it John, because he's a, one of the 12 apostles, is it John as an old man, an elder, talking to his younger self, saying the same thing. Don't give up. Look how old I get to be. Just like Jesus said. Don't give up. Jesus wins. And then, mysteriously, the second epistle of John, second John, starts with, I, John, the elder, dot, dot, dot. Is it because he saw himself as an elder in this vision? But essentially, the elder tells John what he already knows, but what John wants to know for sure. Just like all of us Christians. He says, these are the faithful. They're coming out of the great tribulation. Ultimately, meaning they've left this physical world, they've died, and they no longer have to deal with the temptations and the hurt and the pain. They're here now in heaven. And he says, they're wearing the robes, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, perfectly white, of their baptisms. If you can remember when we had the baptism a few weeks ago, Gabby was wearing a beautiful white gown. Jesus covered her in her baptism. Her sins were taken away. She was white as snow. And that's you every time you remember your baptism. Every time you're washed in the blood of the Lamb at the altar when you receive Christ's body and blood. When you read the word of God and you remember, yeah, my sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. And what do they do? Well, if you can remember from Divine Service 1, this is the feast. They worship him day and night in his temple the perfection of Psalm 1, meditating on God's word day and night. Um, we get the beautiful, what becomes, um, this is the feast from Divine Service 1. Um, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. All of those things. And all of a sudden it turns into beatitude language. It's very intimate and personal. Jesus, the sacrificed living lamb and shepherd, 
does what he did through his church first on earth. Right? At the end there, he's feeding the hungry, he's sheltering the homeless, he's giving water to the thirsty, he's giving shade to those that are suffering. That's what we do as the church to other people. We serve others here on earth. But now Jesus does it for each and every one of you individually. Jesus, who died and rose for everyone and everything in creation, now wipes away your tear individually. See how beautiful that is? We started out with this large, vast 144,000 without, we couldn't even see the faces. We zoom in and Jesus wipes away your tear. He leads you by springs of living water. And even through great tribulation, no one likes boot camp, right? While it's happening. But no one says, I wish I didn't go to boot camp. No, they become a better person. Jesus keeps you faithful when you remain in his word and you endure. The church triumphant, the church triumphant, what we just left with. When did that begin? You know, like I understand the the militant thing. We're all sometimes feel like we're fighting this war when we're out there. When is the triumphant church begin? Well, as soon as when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. It is finished. The church becomes the church triumphant. And the evidence of that victory is the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. Everything he said, everything he did, everything he promised is true. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. This vision of the entire church altogether an ultimate victory is simply a more visible triumph. One that we get to share in through the blessing of God's word. That we get to see and feel when we're here in church, heaven on earth. When we're communing with our Lord. When we're communing with each other as we stand by each other. But for those of us who have eyes to see, we see the church triumphant now. We see it in this very church, at this altar, where Jesus, the Lamb who was slain but now lives, triumphantly gives us his living body, his living blood, to eat and drink together and be sustained. We do it side by side, confessing the same Christ crucified. And also alongside the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven, right? Which is the entire Christian church. Invisible for now, but made up of all the saints who have believed since the beginning and till the end. Your friends and family, all those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, all of them. C.S. Lewis, Abraham Lincoln, Bach, Grandpa, they're all there communing with you and will forevermore. Even those you haven't reconciled with, which maybe tips you off to, hmm, maybe we should make things right here on earth since it will all be wiped away in heaven. And it's illustrated by how we will do communion today. Today we will all number and line up here and take communion together. 
It's going to be cool. Think about how you aren't only communing with Jesus. You're communing with those that are standing beside you. They're your family, your brothers, your sisters. The faceless 144,000, the many tribes and languages waving palm tree branches, the individuals being comforted, Jesus' story of redemption for us is universal, and it's also sweepingly complete, but it's also individual and intimate. This is God's kingdom, and this is communion. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Amen.